Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it is indeed another Win Wednesday. Three in a row. Three W's, three Win Wednesdays. Jimmy led the G-Unit offense to another victory. And I may or may not have rewritten some of the lyrics for Ain't Nothing But a G-Thing. Uh, check my Twitter feed if you are curious as to whether or not incredible. that's true. That's right. Jimmy G is now in the same category as Steve Young. He's completed a pass to himself. And even Garrett Selleck, the watch that is Garrett Selleck, is right twice a day. And this is one of those times. So let's get to the recap because, I mean, this was a team that we predicted. I mean, we both predicted wins, mostly because we were throwing caution to the wind. Yeah. And we said this is an AFC team that maybe they're playoff bound, but they're not the greatest of playoff teams. And the Niners, of course, come through with a win. It's a little weird. It's still like even though it was it was one that you know you felt like was winnable, right? It was a, a team that yeah they had a winning record and and were you know going to be in playoff contention, all that kind of stuff. But it, it didn't really feel like that with the way that they've been playing, right? Like and you, and you dig a little bit deeper beyond win loss record, and it wasn't a team that had really impressed all that much. So it felt uh, very much like a, a, a winnable game. But even then, it's still strange to to feel like we or to have actually won now like three consecutive games, something we haven't done for a while. Yeah, not since 2014. Uh, excuse me while I drink my celebratory beer. My mama tried. It's delicious. And if you're in and around Texas, you should get some because it's from Brazos Valley Brewing. But let's start with the final drive because it was pretty awesome. Now, in reality, this was pretty much the second game-winning drive that Garoppolo had to engineer because he drove the team down to get a field goal. But then Tennessee comes right back, and then he's got to do it all over again with not a whole hell of a lot of time. There were only three plays that got them in a field goal range. The, I think the fourth play was a run that will kind of just wash out. Yeah. But the the first play is going to be a Patriots staple that Kyle Shanahan's bringing into the 49ers offense for what we can only assume is uh, Garoppolo's comfort level. But it's called the Haas play. And Haas is great because it tells you what the play is in the name. So Haas is hitches outside and seams. H-O-S-S. The first S and the last S and seams are capitalized. In case you couldn't put that together. Uh, so that's the Haas concept, and it's paired with the juke route, which is an option route. Uh, I'll let you guess who's going to run the option route on this play. That's right. It's Trent Taylor, hard hat bringer extraordinaire, uh, bringer of lunch pails, you know, mother of catches. It's going to be great. I mean, he may resemble Randy Moss in pretty much every way, but he was playing the Julian Edelman spot and uh, on this play, and, and that's exactly what it is. So this was something that we've seen... Not not this exact play the way that they had set it up um, in, in previous games, but similar thing where where they have run. Basically, you get the seam routes. You know the guys on the inside, right? The guys in the slot, or or maybe one of them is a tight end, just running vertically up the field down the seam, and then you get your outside guys running that kind of short, you know, five six yard curl route um, on, on the outside there. That sort of thing is something that we have seen, you know, mixed in throughout the season from them. But doing this one from empty, which is what they did on this play. Um, so nobody in the backfield, everybody out. Um, it was not only on this play, but something they did throughout the game um, is is very much the Patriots aspect of it. And then also the juke route, right, which is essentially you add an, an option route in the middle of the field for somebody to be able to basically play off either if it's a zone defender in the middle of the field or if they're in man coverage, they're just going to work off that leverage 
uh, of the defender and kind of go the direction that they're not right. And, and in this case, it was man coverage. Trent Taylor uh, was the guy running that route and he was able to get open and, and, you know, start things off. We've heard Shanahan talk about, you know, I think in, in um, press conferences here about how important it is just on those first, you know, play or two to get positive yardage. And this is a, a play that very much isn't designed to really take a shot downfield all that often. Um, but it is something that you, you're expecting to get, you know, kind of a short pickup, get things started on a positive foot. Now, this play is really good against single high teams because, of course, the seams attack that middle safety. When you've got a seam on either side of that of that single high safety, he's got to make a decision. Do I go to one guy? Do I go to the other guy? And whatever guy he doesn't go to potentially is going to be a big play when you go to the other side and hit that seam. But those hitches are going to be kind of a bit of your hot reads, and they're going to be your reads if the defender or the cornerback is playing off, which Adoree Jackson did early on in the game, and that's where we got a couple of completions to Marquise Goodwin. But overall, it's it's interesting to see Kyle Shanahan bring concepts that he knows Garoppolo is familiar with, fold them into what the 49ers already do, and he's rewarded with a couple of really quick good pickups, or at least on the first play, with, with seven yards to get the, the drive going. But then on the second play, you've got busted coverage. And this is where the linebacker, Woodyard, gets occupied with Carlos Hyde coming out of the backfield and just doesn't sink to his zone in the Tennessee Titans cover six defense. And what that does is it leaves George Kittle wide open and Garoppolo comes right back to him after looking initially to his left. And what's cool is if the the, the mic'd up, the full mic'd up is now out on Reddit and it's out on Twitter. So if you haven't uh, watched it, go watch it right now because it's really, really interesting. But Garoppolo at some point points out to Kittle that the safeties are playing really wide. And so he's going to hit him up the middle. And that's exactly what Garoppolo does. Yeah, we saw that, um, you know, at least from the from the alignment standpoint, from the safeties, um, I think on every play, definitely these first two uh, plays to start the drive. But they they were wide for, you know, a, a good chunk of the game here. And so they really were focused on, you know, again, where Garoppolo has been most comfortable attacking the middle of the field. And that was something uh, that really played into the way that Tennessee was was running a lot of their zones and staying, you know, keeping guys that wide and not really being able to provide a lot of help there. But then here, so you get the combination of those safeties, you know, being back further, being split wider. And then the one guy then that's kind of left being responsible for the middle of the field there, it, it you know, just kind of gets uh, a little bit lost. And, you know, it's hard, obviously, to tell whether that's uh, some sort of miscommunication and, and not everybody was on the same page coverage wise or if it was just him getting his eyes caught up in a place that it wasn't supposed to be. But, you know, he kind of vacates that zone, comes up gets a little preoccupied with Hyde, you know, that's just coming out on a check down and there's nobody there left in the middle of the field for Kittle. Uh, and, and so it's just kind of a nice, easy pitch and catch, even though Garoppolo doesn't look like that's, you know, he's not looking to that side of the field initially on the op- opposite side. You had Trent Taylor just running a quick out route, you know, and so it looked like he was headed there first. Okay, let me see if I can get, you know, again, another short gain, get out of bounds and let's keep this thing going. And then when that wasn't there, he gets to come back to a wide open player, you know, down the middle of the field. And that really uh, was obviously the big play on this drive. And this to me, we're going to talk a little bit about Jimmy Garoppolo's performance under pressure a little later in the show. But this to me is it exhibits his processing speed and his ability to come off of his one, go to his two and then make a really quick throw. And the ball wasn't perfectly placed. I think Kittle's kind of got to turn around a little bit in order to catch it. But Kittle makes a really good play. Garoppolo's able to process the game super quickly. All of a sudden, you have Kittle rumbling, bumbling, stumbling down the field for 24 yards, and you are cooking. 
Then you've got play three, which is double slants. And you'll notice that when the 49ers go into their two-minute offense, what they do is they just call their plays out. They've got probably eight plays or so. And it's number one, number two, number three, you know, so on and so forth. And the team knows what that play is. Number two is going to be double slants. We actually saw good old Beathard. It's oh, we forget that he was our quarterback. Uh, he was the future. Yeah, I've already moved beyond that. We're this is a new era. Okay, I, whatever happened before week thirteen doesn't really exist to me anymore. All of our look at these photograph jokes just seem a little stale now. But I still love those jokes because <laughs> really, look at this photograph. <laughs> Uh, he he would call out number two as well when he was running the two-minute offense, and it was double slants. So this is the play that they call. They call 2-2-2. Two, two, two. They get up to the line. It's double slants, and he's able to hit Goodwin in stride versus uh, Adore Jackson's off coverage for 14 yards. All of a sudden, you've got you know a run play and then a field goal, and, and Robbie Gold wins the game. Right. I mean, Goodwin had some snaps throughout the game where he was you know able to get off press against Jackson and whatnot, but... This was something that seemed to happen quite a bit throughout the game. It, it was really there to start the game, um, it, you know, where Jackson's eff- effectively playing just really off, you know, playing eight, 10 yards deep off the ball. And, and they're able to take advantage with just a quick hitting route before he's able to react to it. And I think in this situation, especially, it didn't make a lot of sense for them to do it right. You look at all of their other man coverage defenders pretty much across the board. And they're all, if not in press, you know, up tight to the line of scrimmage, right? Where they're going to be in position, um, you know, to, to at least try to contest any sort of uh, quick hitting route there. And then when you leave a guy though, like that, and you're all of a sudden now you're at that cushion and you're leaving him wide open. I mean, that's just an easy pitch and catch, right? You look over there at the double slants, you're, you're, you're almost always going to hit the outside slant on that combination anyway. And when you leave that guy, I mean, effectively uncovered, right? There's there's no way that he's going to be from his pre-snap alignment going to be in a position to make a play on that ball. Y- you make an easy throw, pick up 14, and now you're in field goal range. Th- that drive to me is really emblematic of why everyone is so high on the Niners right now. First off, you've got Cal Shanahan who is able to in- incorporate schemes that he knows are quarterback friendly for the person who's running his team at that time so you've got him bringing in plays from the patriots but you've also got the speed of processing and the ability to bet the to get the ball out quickly from jimmy garoppolo in his ability to recognize that busted coverage and get the ball to the right guy and then you've got marquise goodwin who is really kind of playing his best football of his career and he's doing so for a team that is desperately in need of some wide receivers And that changes the equation for what the team needs if Marquise Goodwin can continue performing at this level. And he's by no means going to be the number one, but he's going to be a very, 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 very good wide receiver if he continues playing at this pace. And so I thought that those three plays were a great example in a bottle for why it's exciting right now to be a 49ers fan. Now, let's get to what the 49ers were able to do under pressure because the game plan for Tennessee coming into the game was definitely to blitz a lot. Dick LeBeau blitzed, meaning he sent five or, five or more rushers, on 53.3% of passes, meaning that if it was a pass play, more often than not, he was blitzing. He was sending five yep. or more. Uh, he, going into the week, the Tennessee Titans were blitzing at a rate of 37.5%, still pretty high, fifth in the NFL, but he really, really ratcheted that up against the 49ers. And the 49ers this year are actually one of the most blitzed teams overall across the season nfl matchup tweets out these uh these kind of stats throughout the week and they always have you know high splits percentage for the, the offense meaning the defense splits them a lot and the niners are usually very very high but 
even then, Garoppolo was still able to do what Garoppolo does. And even when they weren't blitzing, right, they were still, it, it was very rarely just kind of your your standard four-man rush, right? We're going to all get in our rush lanes and, and just kind of go after it that you see, um, you know, I think in, in most games, that's kind of what most pass plays are like, right? You get your five offensive linemen blocking, you got four guys going after it, and, and they're kind of all in the same general pass rush lanes, and, and that's how we do it. Um, they, I mean, almost never did that. Even when they were rushing four, um, you know, they were still running different kind of stunts or they were slanting, uh, you know, their D line, maybe dropping a D lineman, bringing a linebacker as the fourth and instead. So there was always something they they basically set out to force this offensive line to have to communicate and, and prepare and, uh, you know, handle all of these different stunts and things that they're throwing at them. It was very rarely, again, just kind of that standard pass protection set um, that you see on a lot of snaps. It was and it did not work out very well. They, they just were not able to get um, protection set properly. It seemed like on a lot of plays and you ended up with just a, a really high number of free rushers coming after Garoppolo in this game. One of the pressure items that the Tennessee Titans employed to get a free rusher and to get to Garoppolo was that cross dog blitz where you had the double A gap pressure and the, the cross dog just refers to two players that are lined up in the A gap who end up crossing each other into the other A gap. And normally in these situations, the center is going to tackle or not tackle because that would be holding. But the center is going to tackle him. That'd be great. He could tackle him. You know, (laughs) it's it's like Zane Beatles is like, well, got to go. But he's he's going to hit the first guy that comes through whatever a gap. So in a cross dog, one guy's got to go first. The other guy's got to go second. The center usually takes the first one. In this case, a couple of times, Kilgore did not take the first guy on that cross dog and it allowed a rusher to go free. He ended up picking it up much better later in the game, but the damage is already done on a couple of snaps. The cross dog, though, while it was a problem for the 49ers and their pressure or their protection scheme, was not the main culprit for the free rushers that the 49ers gave up in this game. There was, a, there was one specific pressure package on a fire zone blitz that LeBeau used from the first quarter all the way to the fourth quarter, and it confused the holy hell out of the 49ers protection schemes. Um, it was, yeah, it, it, God, they ran it a lot. And, and so I think that was the frustrating part, right? So the, the thing that they kept doing was they would slant their defensive line one direction and whoever the defensive lineman or outside linebacker was, you know, the end guy on the line of scrimmage there on the slant on the side of the ball that the slant was going to, he would typically drop back into coverage and then you would get somebody else coming off the edge. And then one of the linebackers kind of looping around, uh, onto the side opposite of the slant, right? So you're you're getting this five man pressure package. You're really trying to get the the line to kind of slide across and leave them short handed. You know where you're bringing the extra guy off the edge and the linebacker looping around. Uh, and it just they there was no adjustment to it throughout the entire game. Uh, they just kept even though they would have on the majority of these snaps enough blockers to be able to handle it, right? If they're if they're setting the protection properly everybody's kind of, you know, adjusting to these slants. And again, it's one thing to be confused on that, you know, and you're okay. This wasn't something that we were necessarily uh, prepared for in the first quarter, right? Which is weird because it's something that they do a lot of. So you should have been prepared, but even if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt there, right? First quarter. Okay. You're getting beat on it. They never adjusted really throughout the game. You know, it was, I think maybe on that final couple drives, we started to see them on a couple plays, pick up things a little bit better, but for the most part, they say it in the same sort of protection and they let this same sort of blitz and stunt beat them play after play after play. Uh, and it was just, 
I mean, it, they basically were saved by the fact that Garoppolo was consistently able to get the ball out quickly before these free rushers could get there a lot of the time. Yeah, it, w- what's funny is the the dropping of the defensive lineman is something we've been railing against uh, for Robert Sala for quite a while because Robert Sala will do the same thing where he will try to generate safe pressure. We've talked about fires on blitzes on the show before. I think we may have tackled him for scheme month too when we're talking about protections and stuff. Somewhere in there, yeah. But somewhere in there, I don't know. I, I've, I've slept since then. I can't remember. <laughs> but the when you think of what the fire zone is really intended to do, I mean, Dick LeBeau is the guy who runs fire zones because it is considered quote unquote safe pressure. You're bringing five, but you're still able to get most of your zones covered. And in order to, in order to do that, you drop a defensive lineman into a short zone. Now Sala does it with Earl Mitchell and he usually does it when he's rushing three. What he tries to do is he tries to confuse the protection and saying like, well, you think Earl Mitchell's going to rush, but all of a sudden he's not. What, what LeBeau is doing is something very different. LeBeau is still dropping a defensive lineman into the, the coverage area, but he's doing it so that he can send another rusher in another area. And it really did confuse the 49ers because the 49ers were basically splitting their line in such a way where Joe Staley or whomever the tackle was would go out and pass set against the defensive lineman that's now dropping in the coverage. And so Joe Staley is basically blocking air. Meanwhile... You've got the other side of the offensive line who thinks they're like, you know, trying to go against two people and really they're going up against three. You get a free rusher coming right at Garoppolo. And if Garoppolo is not exceptionally fast at getting the ball out, this is completely going to destroy the 49ers offense. Yeah, I think the thing and and this is, you know, obviously a big credit to to Tennessee is they were much better at at being able to disguise what they're doing, right? They they gave some different looks, you know, in, in terms of how they were getting to this pressure. Um, you know, one thing that that I noticed as well um, that seemed to really be uh, kind of a key part on a lot of these uh, these plays was just the ability of uh, or, or just the subtle change of taking, you know, the guy that would normally be your like one technique or your a gap rusher. Right. So if we think of the 49ers defense, like where Earl Mitchell would be right lined up, kind of shading the center, but mostly in the gap, they bumped that guy over and had him play head up on the center and so that, from a protection standpoint, now it makes it tougher, right? For the center, if I want to slide a direction as a center and that guy's in my backside A-gap, I can, you know, I, I can throw a hand out there and make sure he doesn't come free, but it's a little bit easier for my guy next to me to be able to come in and help out on that right away. Whereas if I have somebody directly over me, I have to pay attention to that guy, right? I have to, uh, you know, give him some attention at least at first and, and be able to engage him and then maybe I can pass him off afterwards. But it's that sort of kind of split second difference that killed him a lot of times because it was, okay, Kilgore is preoccupied with this guy. And a lot of times you would see that guy in his in his slant almost kind of loop out, right? He's he's rushing. He wasn't dropping into coverage. But really, he's just kind of there to draw Kilgore and, and take his attention away elsewhere. And because he couldn't then go on with the rest of the slide and be able to help elsewhere, like you saw guys, again, coming free in the middle, um, and it was just something that they never really adjusted to throughout the game. Overall, the other interesting part was that Kyle Shanahan seemed to very much rely on Jimmy Garoppolo's ability to beat the blitz or to beat five rushers because we saw more five-man protections in this game, or at least I feel like we saw more five-man protections in this game than we have all year. The 49ers didn't really leave a lot of help in for Jimmy Garoppolo. He kind of expected Garoppolo to handle a lot of these blitzes 
And he did with an alarming degree of, of accuracy. He did it a couple different ways. We, we talked about kind of employing some of the Haas concept, which the 49ers were able to do early on in the game. When you look at the first couple completions against the Dory Jackson, those opening three plays, those were the Haas concept. You had some all curls in there. You had an RPO to Goodwin. But even then, you still had Jimmy Garoppolo, who was able to get the ball out, even though the Tennessee Titans often had a free rusher running right into his face. When you have a quarterback who is able to not only get the ball out quickly, but also do so when he shouldn't be expecting a free rusher over the guard to get right at him, that's incredibly impressive. And Jimmy Garoppolo, when you look, and we're going to talk about this when we get to the Jacksonville preview, but his ability to throw the ball well under pressure is something that, if it's sustainable, is going to put him in pretty rare territory. Definitely. It's 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 kind of crazy what he's been able to do so far. It's obviously very encouraging. You know, we, we talk about pressure, even though, you know, for the most part, most quarterbacks are going to spend the majority of their dropbacks not getting pressured, right? Like league average pressure rate is right around, I, th- I think, like 34 or 35 percent. So you're still going to have more dropbacks where you're not bothered and you're able to throw from a clean pocket than not. Um, and, and so it definitely matters, you know, what you do. You need to be able to, to stay on schedule and, and make those plays. But the thing that really separates the the really, really good quarterbacks is what they do on those 35% of snaps, right, where they are getting pressure and they are getting bothered because it's coming. Everybody's going to have to deal with it eventually. You know, it tends to happen more in critical situations, right? You see teams um, blitz more often in third down. They blitz more often, um, you know, kind of late in games in key situations sometimes when they know that the, the, the other team has to pass, right? And so in those moments when you know pressure is coming and you're going to have to deal with it, like that's kind of the the key stuff that you want to see from those top end quarterbacks. And so what we've seen from Garoppolo so far and being able to handle that. And, you know, like you mentioned, Shanahan feeling comfortable already with him in this offense to be like, look, we're going to, we're going to trust that, you know, even if we got guys that are coming free, that, that you're going to be able to see what you need to see and get the ball out of your hands before it can get there. And he got sacked a couple times. You know, there was a couple times where it was just on that free rusher, not, not happening. Right. It was coming so quick. That it was like, okay, I don't have a chance to do anything with this. I just got to eat it. But, um, you know, considering the number of times, like you mentioned that they blitzed on over half the snaps, they got pressure on a lot of those. Um, and, and we were still be able to be productive in the passing game. Like that was pretty much all on Jimmy. Yeah, when you think about when you think about what we've done to offenses when we've gotten to them, you know, when we've had a pressure rate above 40%, their offense is basically stalled all day. And that that doesn't seem to be the case with Garoppolo at the helm, which is which is pretty remarkable. Now, on defense, or I'm sorry, not on defense, but when you get to the run game, we're talking a lot about Garoppolo because there just wasn't much of a run game to speak of. It just absolutely wasn't. And and that's not at the feet of Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde had 24 yards rushing total, but he had 29 of those after contact, meaning that on average, he was getting hit behind the line of scrimmage. That's not an indictment on Carlos Hyde. That's just the offensive line. And last week, we talked at, you know, a little bit about how it's not like the team overall all of a sudden is magically better. It's not that the offensive line is blocking better. It's not that the running game is better. It's just that Garoppolo is able to make it seem that way because of his ability to get the ball out and get the ball out to accurate areas. And that's exactly what we saw here. The running game was completely shut down. Tennessee's front, not just in the way they attacked the San Francisco protection schemes, but also in what they were able to do on defense and just clogging the running lanes, was completely dominating the 49ers. 
And the X factor was Jimmy Garoppolo's ability to pick him apart. Definitely. I mean, it was, uh, you know, every week it seems like in the preview, right? It's like, okay, which uh, interior defender on the other team is going to be the one that gives us problems this we week? We talked about Jarrell Casey. And Jarrell Casey, I mean, it, it was uh, it was expected. I mean, Jarrell Casey's awesome. I think he's he's probably uh, one of the few. It, underrated is, is kind of a weird term to throw around, like in an NFL era where like everything gets covered, right? Like everybody or everything is rated. Yeah, everything is rated at some point. Um, Jarrell Casey though has been you know for the the past few years one of the best interior guys you know and there's a lot of talented ones out there across the league um, but he's been he's been really good and he was every bit that in this game I mean he dominated in the run game uh, gave gave everybody problems he moves the, the thing that's a little bit different with him than some guys right like Corey Peters we know gives Daniel Kilgore nightmares and he mostly lines up around the same spot so it's mostly Kilgore that's having to block him. Casey's everywhere. They'll even move him out on the edge a little bit at times. They did in this game. Um, That's what I thought yeah. was funny. I was like, you know, if I'm going to put whatever defender I can against Zane Beatles and see and see what happens. And that's exactly what they did. I'm like, wow, yeah, Jer- oh. Jarrell Casey, normally a guy who plays over the center, out there on Beatles. They do a lot of different stuff with their front. I mean, we saw pretty much, I think, the full kind of bevy of it in, in this game. But uh, that's a that's a common thing for them. They move guys around a lot. They'll put him, you know, out wide at times. And so, yeah, I mean, everybody, I think, across the line kind of had their shot at having to block him at some point in this game. And really, Joe Staley was the only one that I, uh, you know, noticed that had some success there. There was there were a couple plays there where, you know, you would chalk up a win for Staley, but uh, he got the better of Staley on some snaps, too. So he was out there kind of wrecking things. Um, you know, they have some some good, uh, good run defenders across that front. Wesley Woodyard's a good run uh, linebacker as well. So. Uh, they really shut things down there. And again, we, we talked about, you know, these games have been closer now and we're able to run the ball more. Uh, but that's really more just a product of game situation. It's not because we're suddenly running the ball more effectively, right? That we're, we're chalking up 20, 25, 30 runs in a game. It's just like, okay, we have the ball a lot. We're moving the ball. We can mix these in there and we're not, you know, trailing by 20 points and have to throw it every down. So uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of been amazing when you put all of that together offensively and still see the problems in protection at times and problems with the run game. And the fact that we've been able to have a competent offense these last three weeks is, is kind of awesome. So overall, we definitely love that final drive because it was pretty awesome and highlighted some of the reasons that we're super excited about this team. The 49ers offensive performance was definitely fueled by Garoppolo's performance under pressure, especially given the fact that the offensive line could not get their protection shit together and was just letting free rushers come through at just about every turn. Now, the and then of course, the other thing is that the running offense was just not very good, but that's just because the line is not very good and they're not very good at blocking, especially against very, very good defensive fronts, which is what Tennessee has. The final thing that we think about the Tennessee game is really that the defensive matchups really made the fight. We talked about in the preview last week how This game was a Tennessee team that kind of matched up well with what the 49ers did well. They didn't have great wide receivers, uh, and our corners, at least one of them, is pretty good. Akella Witherspoon, I would say he's not like a superstar, not yet, hopefully, but he's definitely above average at this point. And you've got Dante Johnson, who is not good. You've got Kawan Williams, who in coverage is not good, even if he can't get his nose on the football. And, And that's okay. That their main guy was going to be Delaney Walker against Eric Reed, and Delaney Walker seemed to kind of rediscover those butterfingers that he left in San Francisco because right. he, I mean, when you look oh, at what man. he what he did, 
his drop rate when he moved to Tennessee basically improved like a bajillion light years. Yeah. And all, all of the percentage points, it just dropped, it just and, plummeted. Yeah. It dropped like he dropped the TD in the end zone against San Francisco. <laughs> uh, it dropped like he dropped the fumble against San Francisco in this game. Oh, I mean, even though overall, I would say that Delaney Walker still got the better of Eric Reed in that one to one matchup. Yeah. He he seemed to just not he he his hands are just going to repel the ball when he's in San Francisco. And and man, those were some key plays, right? Like you you have that dropped interception that was early on in the game. They end up having to settle for a field goal on that drive. Drop um, touchdown. Yeah. What did I say? Did I drop say drop an, field goal? <laughs> no, you just drop field goal. That would be hilarious. Uh, drop kick field goal. No, you said uh, drop the interception. Oh my bad. Yeah, yeah. So had had that, you know, and then obviously anytime you turn the ball over and and, and give it up there, that's going to be a key play in the game. And and so yeah, you look at you know what turned out to be a two point game like that's those are those are big plays like in in kind of the grand scheme of things there and so uh but yeah i think when you looked at it on a a kind of more snap by snap basis i mean it was a lot of eric reed which is exactly um what we expected he's the guy that's gonna gonna handle those tight ends predominantly um it was it was a lot of delaney wins right you know it was you know eric reed might have been able to throw up that incompletion sign you know after a drop touchdown or something like that but it was because marcus mariota had a ball that was nowhere near delaney walker yeah it it was uh yeah there was another one like on a key third down play where um where reed got beat you know on, on kind of a deep out route at the sticks and uh it was just a horrible throw left inside by mariota that would have been you know if it was on target that would have been probably a pretty easy conversion for them um so it was not the best day for Eric Reed, um, you know, but obviously Delaney just still did enough, you know, just being back in San Francisco uh, somehow forgot his hands. So it, it ended up working out for the best for us. So what so we're talking about individual matchups because we thought that this was a, a team that the 49ers matched up well against. And one of the interesting performances so far this season is going to be Marcus Mariota for me, because this is a quarterback that I actually liked Mariota more than I liked Jameis Winston coming out when they were both drafted at the same time. Mariota has had a a not spectacular, but still above average career thus far. And he's had a couple of, you know, his highs have been pretty high and his floor has also been pretty high. It's just that he doesn't go like super duper high, like maybe a Jameis does, right? But in this game, Marcus Mariota just did not look right. He didn't look comfortable in the pocket. There there was a, a play in the opening drive where he's got a pretty clear lane. All he's got to do is take off. And he hesitates and kind of stutters and, and just kind of like does looks unsure with himself and ends up getting sacked for a couple of yards. His some throws were great. The corner route to I think it was Rashard Matthews was great. Now, yeah, on the right hand. Yeah, side. yeah on the right hand yeah. side. Exactly. There were other throws, though. The throw that Delaney Walker dropped. Yeah, of course, the drop touchdown was, was a great awesome. throw. Yeah, because it hit him right in, in the bucket, hit him right in the hands. But there were other throws that were just completely off target. The, the another th- the third to Delaney Walker where we're talking about Eric Reed kind of throwing up the incomplete sign. It just seemed like he was up and down, not right. And and I wonder if this is just him kind of coming back down to earth, or if it's because of his injuries or what. Because he just didn't look like the same kind of quarterback that you're used to seeing last year. It's it's been kind of weird with him, and uh, you know this is obviously probably a discussion that could go on for for a while with, in terms of like what's going on with him and in his career so far but i think in this game you you saw him get more comfortable when they went to kind of their no huddle offense right all of a sudden the, they finally showed signs of life uh offensively right on that two minute drill um you know drive at the end of the first half and then they come out that works so well they come out on the first drive uh in the third quarter there and they're also going up tempo and end up having 
uh, you know, a pretty good drive there. And so that seemed to be like it was where he was most comfortable. And this was kind of the thing, uh, you know, when Malarkey became the guy there that was like, he seems to kind of be going out of his way to to go against, you know, we, we talk about Kyle Shanahan and taking a play from the Patriots that the, it's been kind of a staple concept for them that he hasn't really run and incorporating that in the offense to make your new quarterback feel comfortable. Um, it, it, malarkey and and what they're doing offensively a lot of times seems to be like they're going out of their way to make Marcus Mariota something that he's not and have him do things, you know, that he's, he's not as good at doing um, because you see him get comfortable when they start going up tempo, right? What he's, what, that's what he did at Oregon the whole time able to, to kind of find some rhythm there and make act. I mean, he's a really accurate passer he is, when yeah. he's on. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's just kind of interesting. You know, we saw a little bit in that, uh, in this game, um, you know, with him kind of going up and down, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I would, he's one of those ones, you know, kind of like, uh, we saw Jared Goff get this huge bump, right. When, when he gets a kind of a competent offensive person in there running the show, uh, I, I would kind of like to see the same thing with, with Marcus Marriott at some point. If Jeff Fisher gets another job in the NFL, I oh, might riot. Please let him just go to the Browns. They deserve might, each other. I might. They riot. all deserve each other. Now, last note we'll talk about on the defensive on, on the defense's performance is that the run defense definitely played well, but it was their tackling that saved the day. The 49ers defense has not allowed a team to rush over 100 yards in four straight games, which, you know, it's not like nothing to write home about. But compared to last year, where they allowed one single running back, let alone a whole team, to amass over 100 yards in NFL record seven straight games, this seems like an accomplishment. And it really is. This week, really, it was a couple of different things. Some of it was game situation. The Titans kind of had to throw a little bit to stay in the game. And they found a bit more success through the air, as you do against Dante Johnson. But what what I thought was super interesting was that the Murray and Henry, who are two big bruising backs that usually have the propensity to break some tackles, did not force a missed tackle all game. And that meant that the 49ers, when they put their helmet on that running back, were able to bring them down without missing that tackle. And that's always going to be good for the run defense. Yeah, it's it's been kind of weird. One of the things, so as I'm going through like during the week and um, you know doing a lot of different preview stuff and, and looking at a lot of this data, like I'll always try to keep an eye, even when it's uh, I'm looking at other teams, like keep an eye on where the Niners are at and things. And one thing that I noticed that really surprised me this week was so looking at just the the percentage of runs that defenses allow yard any any yards after contact, right? Um, the Niners were actually one of the lowest. I mean, most so most runs get yards, at least something after contact, right? They at least get a yard after contact. You have guys falling forward. Um, but the 49ers have the fourth lowest rate. So basically, they've been the fourth best defense at getting actually zero yards after contact. They've had the fourth highest percentage of their, or their opposing runs there, which came... I thought that was really surprising. Like I, I, I thought that they've been, you know, pretty good, but it seems to be this kind of hit or miss thing. Cause they do have a good number of missed tackles as well. Um, so it's, it's Literally kind of like hit or miss. Yeah. It's, it's either like, you know, they're getting to the ball and they're, they're kind of stopping these guys and you see, you know, obviously like good examples in this game of Ruben Foster hitting Derrick Henry and, uh, you know, sending him backwards, right. They get, some which plays is not like an easy thing to do. Cause that dude yeah. is big. He's a large man. Um, and, and, and so you have some snaps like that, but then you have the ones where they do miss tackles and they give up, you know, some bigger yards after contact there. We'll call those um, the Brock Coyle runs. <laughs> the, 
Yeah, he had he had some fun moments in this one. But I think, yeah, going back to, you know, normally like a, a, a stat like, oh, they haven't given up or uh, 100 yards, you know, to an opposing rusher uh, in, in however many games isn't something that we would really put a ton of stock in. But usually when you see those kind of streaks, right, it's winning teams that yeah. they're playing a lot of teams that are having to catch up. You know, they, they don't have game situation to be able to credit for this, right? They're, this is a team that is, even though they've won a few games recently, they're still playing close, and they've spent most of this season playing from behind where the other team is trying to run the ball out. They're, they're getting a lot of uh, attempts at them. And so the fact that they've, you know, been able to, to, to do as well as they have and, and kind of limit the number of 100-yard rushers um, is, is is at least somewhat impressive. They're not a dominating run defense, but that's definitely been the best aspect of them this, this my favorite, uh, season. My favorite play, and we made a little bit of fun of the Titans last week. We call them just exotic. Full stop. Exotics, yeah. Exotic. <laughs> like, just remove the smash mouth. Exotic, mm, let me think about that. But my favorite play was that, that third down stop where they tried to run a trap play on DeForest Buckner. He and, finally did it. And and before cuz I mean the teams have been running trap plays on Buckner for at least 5 or 6 weeks. They got him once earlier in the game too. Foster had they to did. save him. Uh, he he did the whole thing where he kind of, you know, was trying to make contact and there was nobody there and he stumbles forward. It's like when you're trying to it's when you're like getting off the steps and you think there's going to be one what? more <laughs> step there yep. and you just like kind of like yep. and you that's hit perfect. and that's exactly what he looks like on film when <laughs> <laughs> when there's no blocker there to hit him. And and Foster saved him once, but on this critical third down play, yeah. you've gotten DeForest Buckner, who just gets right in. He gets exactly where he's supposed to go, one yard behind the line, and he completely blows up the guard that's trying to trap him, and he plugs everything up. Earl Mitchell also does an actual pretty good job of standing the center up, and you get no gain, and, and it's great. And Brock Coyle comes in, cleans it up, takes credit, flexes. It's great. Whatever, Brock. We know, we know, we know your tricks. <laughs> so overall, the things that we think that final drive was pretty legit, and it was amazing. Of course, the 49ers' offense is being fueled by Jimmy Garoppolo's performance under pressure, and on defense, the matchup certainly made the fight. So let's get to our spotlight player because this is going to be the first time all year in Week 15 that we're going to have a repeat player, a two-time winner. Two-time spotlight. A two-time spotlight player. That's right. Two lights. One light <laughs> for the one and the other light for the other one because this player's number is 11, and that is Marquise Goodwin. It's incredible how well he has played. Um, I, I think especially considering expectations with him, right, and, and kind of everything that, he, that he'd done before the season. We talked a lot about this last week, um, but it's just another game, you know, against a, a quality defense um, that he was the main guy, right? He's, he's been the guy. And you look at, um, you know, a lot of what Garoppolo is doing under pressure and um, passer rating for him has been a little bit skewed, you know, in, in just kind of a short period of time because of the interceptions. He had the one that wasn't his fault that was ripped out of uh, Lewis Murphy's hands. And then he did have the one bad play under pressure um, where he kind of threw over the head of Trent Taylor there for an interception. But he, basically so far through his first three starts, when he's under pressure, he has a 109.7 passer rating when targeting Marquise Goodwin and a 57.6 passer rating targeting everybody else. So it, it, and a lot of that's a credit we saw it in this game. And we talked about a few plays where he was able to take advantage of some off coverage from, from Adora Jackson. But he did a really good job, I think, of, of getting off the press clean. Uh, in times where they were looking to get physical with them at the line of scrimmage, like we're just seeing more advanced things, advanced wide receivery things from him 
that we hadn't seen at any other point. And so I think really, you know, we're going to start getting obviously the season coming to a close and start focusing more on the off season and kind of where they need to, to address things and what the priorities are there. Uh, and it's become a situation where receiver, I think was a very clear, obvious need at the start of the season. And now you're starting to wonder if it, it can maybe be something that you push off a year, right? We talk about, you can't always address everything in one off season. I still think that's going to be the case for them this year. And so now do you start looking at things that are probably a little bit more pressing and maybe we can kind of punt the receiver another year because we know that we have Pierre Garçon coming back and now Marquise Goodwin is taking on kind of this much bigger role and, and become this much more productive player. I think that's now where he's kind of driven the conversation with his play the last, you know, five weeks basically. And it's not like the Titans defensive backs are bad. I mean, Adoree Jackson no. and uh, Logan Ryan are not terrible corners that they are, they are above average corners. I would say Adoree Jackson's above average. Logan Ryan's probably right in the average range. Yeah. But a lot of what a lot of what Goodwin was able to do was against Adoree Jackson, and it was because they had to respect his speed. And normally, when you get speedy wide receivers, like I think Torrey Smith is a perfect example of this. They've got two routes they can run: the deep route and the comeback. Because that that's it, right? You've got someone who's trying to sit over the top, and so you just kind of stop and come back. But Marquise Goodwin has been able to do a lot more than that recently, and he seems to have cured his dropsies that he had early on in the year. I mean, yeah. we've come a long way since that long bomb that he dropped yeah. in, in week I, one. He's catching. I mean, and, and the, the other thing, too, I guess the one other big point that wanted to bring up in this game. Interception saving plays. Is he maybe his two most important plays in this game? You know, we've talked a lot of good about Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously, and rightfully so. It's been mostly good, but he's had his bad throws. And in this game, you know, he had two of them that were that, that should have probably been turnovers, like probably should have been intercepted. And and Marquise Goodwin saved him on both of them, obviously made the catch on one of them, which was crazy on uh, kind of the pass that got floated out on the sideline there that he comes back and and jumps in front of the defender to snatch the ball, which was high goes to the play. pass catcher. Yeah. So you have you have that play at first. And then you have, you know, basically the pass breakup on on the play that's, you know, gets floated to the corner of the end zone there. He gets just enough um, of his arm to pull it to pull it away. And, and that's all you need. I mean, that's that's a big play from him. I mean, I mean, that's a throw, you know, from Garoppolo. Yes, he was a little bit pressured on that play, but that's the spot that you can't miss throwing that route, right? You can't leave it short into the inside because that's where the defender is. You know, that's where he's gonna be. Um, and, and that's when you you find those interceptions in the end zone there. And he left it in that spot and got saved by Goodwin. And those were, you know, maybe of all the plays, you know, the receiving numbers were obviously great. But in terms of just pure impact, I think you could make a pretty good argument that those two snaps saving interceptions um, were, were his two best plays of the day. Incidentally, I've started Marquise Goodwin the last two weeks in fantasy. I'm not going to start him this week. I suggest nah, you don't do the same. Probably want to avoid that. Uh, let's get to the rundown, though, because these are going to be the midweek stories or other tidbits from the game that we think are worthy of mention, albeit in a more condensed format. So let's get to the one right off the top, and that's going to be that the Pro Bowl rosters were announced earlier today or yesterday. I forget which one. But we've got a Pro Bowler. One Mr. Kyle Juszczyk. It, it's, offensive weapon. Is there an offensive weapon spot in the Pro Bowl? There is not an offensive weapon spot in the Pro Bowl. There probably should be, but there isn't. Instead, they're giving it to a fullback. Now, let's be clear. The Pro Bowl is dumb. It is the official position of the Better Rivals podcast that the Pro Bowl should be abolished because the voting is stupid, the people who get in are stupid, the game is stupid, and no one cares. 
No one cares. No one cares to see the fourth person who got voted in because the top three don't want to go play or are busy in the playoffs. This is, it's diluted what the Pro Bowl means, first off. Second of all, the Pro Bowl snubs are really, really bad. Harrison Smith, the fact that he's not a Pro Bowl safety is absurd. He is, by and large, the best safety playing in the NFL right now. He could, he could legit make all pro safety at two positions. Like, he could be, like, free safety, strong safety, and sometimes slot corner. Like, he's playing that well. Dude, dude's a beast. And, and it's like, no. There's these, these other historical players that fans know their names, so they're going to vote for him. Like, that's complete <laughs> bullshit. It's, it's, it's dumb. And Kyle Juszczyk isn't even the most deserving 49er. Right? You, you think of a player like DeForest Buckner, who is playing at near an all-pro level. And I can understand why he didn't make the Pro Bowl, because I think the players that made it are, like, are just really good. Um, there, again, there are a lot of good players. At Aaron position. Donald is definitely like going to make the thing. But I think ultimately he should be second team at least. And he's probably not going to make it. Robbie Gold, not going to make it. Even with the injury to Greg Zerline, he's not going to make it. The Pro Bowl is no longer indicative of players that are performing well at their position. It's just a popularity contest. Yeah. Oh, so this is where, so with it, PFF, right? They, we like are trying to collect all of the data. We grade and collect data on senior bowl practices. Senior bowl. I've, I've seen that report. Practices. Don't do anything with the Pro Bowl. That's that's the word. Like, like yeah. there's just it, it's just completely meaningless. The players that get selected, the whole process is meaningless. Nobody cares. Um, something that we do probably care a little bit more about. Solomon Thomas. I, I think um, somebody that's worth bringing up because I feel like we're you know at the point being at the end of the season, people are getting kind of frustrated with him being the number three overall pick and and maybe not having the impact that we're seeing from other rookies you know kind of around the league you look at guys you know at the top especially at cornerback right Marshawn Lattimore uh Tredavious White just you know kind of balling out a little bit and even other Leonard players, Fournette Leonard Fournette coming Should to town this week um he hasn't yeah I mean he's been fine he's whatever um but I, I think it's important to point out that you know again we go back to what were the expectations with this guy going into the season and it was he was going to be a very good run defender and, and there was little doubt that he would excel in that area and then it was going to take some time for him as a pass rusher right he had some tools he had some athleticism there that we were high on um, but he's basically transitioning to a new position it was going to take some time for him to get comfortable out there and I think that's how things have played out so far this season he's struggled rushing the passer so far you look at his pass rush grade from pff you look at his pass rushing productivity which is more just a measure of straight pressures right for how often he's going after the quarterback those are both very low and then he's been good in run defense right good run defense grade and we've seen him get better there throughout the season i think in even in this last game as a perfect example didn't make much of an impact as a rusher um but made a lot of good plays as a, a run defender and so i think we're right now at a point where we can bank on him being, you know, I think one, eventually one of the better run defenders at his position in this league. And then it's just a matter of, does he continue to develop and, and work at becoming a pass rusher? That's obviously a big thing. It's still a big question that he does need to answer. And when we look back on that pick, you know, in a few years, like uh, that's largely how we're going to view it, but it's still early. It's there's still time. It's still going to be fine. I think where he's at in his progression, there's no reason to panic on Solomon Thomas just yet. Cassius Marish seemed to have moved himself 
into one of the primary pass rushing spots. He is now one of the primary pass rushers when the Niners get into obvious pass rushing situations. You've got Marsh, Buckner, Solly, and Doomerville, which seems to be the preferred rotation for the 49ers when they are rushing the passer. His pass rushing productivity is about average, uh, 8.7, in, and he's gotten a couple pressures out of the 72 pass rush snaps. But another kind of what seemed like off the garbage heap find that the 49ers have pushed into a prominent role on this defense. And it's one of those things where I'm glad we were able to find an average pass rusher in the middle of the year. But again, another area that the team is probably going to want to upgrade. One of the things that we didn't really get a chance to talk about offensively, um, and obviously we spent a lot of time there, but the the tight end position, I think we saw one of the better games from them kind of all around. You know, I think we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, tight end not really doing so hot right over the course of the season. Garrett Selleck um, is, is kind of been, you know, inconsistent throughout his career with the 49ers, you know, especially as a run blocker is, is kind of struggled there. Um, George Kittle, while obviously we love him, um, he's gone through his share of ups and downs as well, but I think they both played very well in this game in both phases, you know, made some key plays. We talked about the Kittle play on the last, um, drive. Selleck was able to also take advantage on a, of a busted coverage for a big play earlier in the game and, and made a couple other good receptions. So I think also, uh, in, in run blocking, we saw one of the better games from those guys, uh, in, in this one here against the Titans. So it was just something again to, to kind of bring up as we're as we're start to look back over the course of the season and where we need to upgrade. I think this was one of the better uh, games from the tight end unit that we've seen this year. Trent Brown goes on injured reserve. His shoulder, his shoulder injury closes out the end of the year. And, and with only just two games left, it made a lot of sense to shut him down. In the last two weeks, though, his replacement, Zane Beatles, friend of the pod, if in name only, has allowed 11 pressures. Second worst among tackles. In that span, the only backup that's a lot more pressures is that Philadelphia backup that we've tried pronouncing his name. So I'm just not going to try it anymore. But his last name's Vitae. Yes. About that one. You're absolutely right. The First name has like a million letters and a lot of consonants. A lot of them. It's not as many as use check, but still plenty. So Trent Brown, IR, we fairly we we hardly knew ye. Great, great in pass blocking. Still needs to work on his, you know, backside zone blocking. But, you know, he's he's got another year before he goes to become uh, or next year's his contract year. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens next year. Final thing in the rundown, uh, again, weekly DVOA update. Um, not a whole lot of change as you it would kind of expect at this point in the season. Um, you know, down actually overall um, from 27th to 28th. See an uptick in offense from from 25 to 24 and down in defense 28 to 29. Uh, while no team, uh, no change on special teams, still at 11 there. So this begins the game preview against the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is the, uh, I used to like what Matt Mayoko did uh, maybe last year, or a few years ago, where he would call them GPS games because they were games that would let you know exactly where you are. And they're, they're games where you're supposed to beat up on your opponent. And if you do great, like that doesn't tell you anything. And there are games where you're going to lose. And that, that doesn't tell you anything either. But there are games where it's like, okay, this is the one that's going to tell you really where you are. And I think that's what this game is for the 49ers against a playoff bound and very, very good football playing Jacksonville Jaguars. When we look at some of the things that we'll be watching this week, the first thing is going to be that Jaguars defense. This is the premier defense in the NFL right now. And it really is the blueprint for what the 49ers want in the future. 
the pressure that Jacksonville, a.k.a. Saxonville, is going to bring is going to be one of the prime stories, especially given how Jimmy Garoppolo has performed under pressure. The Jaguars are pressuring opposing quarterbacks on 39.1% of dropbacks. That's the fifth highest rate in the league. They've gotten 179 pressures from their edge defenders, which is the most in the NFL. And if he had enough snaps to qualify, Garoppolo would rank first in percentage of catchable passes thrown under pressure at 76.3%. Like, just think about that for a second. Over 70% of Garoppolo's passes when thrown under pressure are catchable. That's absurd. Three quarters. Yeah, basically three quarters. But not only that, his positively graded throws under pressure are at 44%, which is like 10 points higher than the next highest person. It, what Garoppolo is able to do under pressure is remarkable. And we've talked a lot about how pressure affects games this year. I feel like that might be the theme of the year for whatever reason. Normally, when you're able to pressure a quarterback, you're able to get their quarterback rating on average to drop about 32 points. Pro Football Focus did a great article leading up to the year where they kind of dissected what it looks like for a quarterback to throw with a clean pocket and throw with a pressure pocket. And leading up through 2016, the average difference was 32 points. You don't see that drop with Garoppolo. You just don't. And Jacksonville comes in with the ability to pressure in multiple ways from multiple people. And we're going to really be able to see if he can sustain that against what I think is not only the best defense in the NFL right now, but probably one of the best defenses of the last like several years. I think from a pass defense standpoint, you could argue that this is one of the best pass defenses like of all time. Like we, we yeah. talked about, uh, you know, or I guess recently we've had the Seattle defenses, right? The, in the year that they went to the Super Bowl in 2013, that was kind of the peak yeah. of their their power. And, and that was talked about a lot at the time, right? Is, and you've is got this the best pass defense that we've we've seen and then you've got denver when they won the super bowl and they had they had two things that were going for them both really good corners but also their pass rush which was absurd yeah having von miller turns out is a pretty pretty solid thing um and so you have you know those guys recently and i think this is is right there if not better when you look at the cornerbacks that they have on this team uh it's it's kind of absurd what they've been able to do defending the pass this year and i think the you know, when you start to to look at what they're doing offensively from for Niners, right? And Grappolo, I think that those two stats are telling, right? Because passer rating, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. For Grappolo, actually under pressure doesn't look good. And and that's because we're three games in. And you've also got those interceptions. You got those interceptions, yeah. right? Passer rating is is something that I you know we use because it's familiar to people, but it's not always, especially in small samples, um, the best indicator because it can be skewed super heavily by touchdowns and interceptions on either end, right? If you uh, have, you know, a couple touchdowns mixed in there, even if they weren't necessarily great plays, that's going to throw that way up there. If you have a couple interceptions, even if they weren't your fault, you know, that's going to end up tanking your pass rating. So I think when you look at, you know, you dig a little bit deeper and look at, okay, how often is he putting the ball in a catchable location for his receiver? And then you look at, you know, uh, something that's more PFF specific, but how often is he, grading positively on those throws and he's doing that more often than any other quarterback so far you know it's again Brady is kind of right now the standard in terms of play under pressure and he is bettering him you know again smaller sample not not really uh, enough uh snaps there to to fully qualify but so far playing at a higher level than that under pressure right now and that's going to be I mean that's really their only hope in this game because you have a defense 
that it pressures the quarterback a lot. You have uh, a, a secondary and a coverage unit in general, you know, even when you go down to linebacker level, uh, that is very, very good. And so you start to wonder like, okay, even if he's able to, to, you know, deal with that pressure. Okay. Can he find anybody that's open on, on the back end? And so it's going to be a, a very difficult thing for this offense to overcome. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, at this point, right. We're just trying to gather more information. It's going to be really interesting to see how Garoppolo plays in this one. Do you think the Niners are going to have fewer five man protections this game when we think of what they did against Tennessee? Because I, I was actually surprised by the the number of five man protections we saw. Usually that, that looks like Raiders tape. It, it usually it's the Raiders that are that are leading the league in five man protections, and the Niners seem to be doing that to a, an alarming degree and uh, to a successful degree because they've got Jimmy Garoppolo. It's tough, right? Because I think you look at this Jacksonville team isn't like Tennessee. They're not going to blitz a lot. They have one of the lowest blitz rates because they have a defensive line that's so good. They don't need to blitz to generate pressure. So more often than not, they're just going to be rushing four guys. So it normally you would expect, okay, if they're rushing four. Yeah, we're going to keep five in and, and send everybody else out on a route. Um, and really what you're banking on there is that, you know, your five can hold up against their four. That's not going to happen. Nope. Um, and so Clay's Campbell is going to destroy oh, someone. I mean, they, they I just, all are. It's I just, just I mean, Malik Jack, like they're all going to, it's just, it's going to be really ugly up front. Um, but so then you get to the predicament. Okay. So we don't think that our five can handle their four. So it next step is like, okay, it makes sense to keep it back in, keep a tight end and give some extra help. Well, then at that point, you're sending fewer receivers out into the best coverage unit in the league. Right. So like, it does, is that good is, is, or do you want to try to maximize, you know, the only hope that we have against this defense, we got to send all eligible receivers out and, and hope that somebody can find an advantage there. So it's tough. I mean, that's the, the problems when you have a very, very good coverage unit and a very, very good pass rush, there's not a great answer. Uh, you know, you, I think you, you kind of end up having to pick one or the other. I think with what we've seen so far with, uh, you know, Shanahan kind of trusting Garoppolo in those situations. Um, I think it makes more sense in this one, or I guess not, maybe not makes more sense. I would expect them to go more five man protection stuff and try to get everybody on the route and, and hope that Garoppolo can get rid of the ball before the pressure gets there. That would be the the strategy I would guess they take, but you know, it's, it's a, it's tough. It, whichever direction you go there. Yeah. It's, I think, you know, just let it ride on the arm, man. Slut ride. Yeah, let's let's see what he can do, man. You know, uh, might as well. Better all on red, apparently. So one of the things that Garoppolo has been very good at doing so far this year has been throwing to the middle of the field. And the Niners are going to have to rely on players in the middle of the field at some point because Ramsey is going to shadow Goodwin, likely. He usually shadows their number one. AJ Boye, who you think normally there's like a huge drop off between number one and number two. No, like he's just equally is amazing <laughs> yep. uh, he's gonna good. handle whoever else is on the outside so he's gonna handle Kendrick Bourne more than likely and then if you if you think about okay so who's left you're gonna have to throw to Trent Taylor George Kittle or Selleck Time Selleck in the middle of the field but they're gonna need to do that against the middle of the field defenders which for the Jacksonville Jaguars are Paul Plus Leslie blah, 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 blah. <laughs> lots of consonants really throw us for a loop <laughs> Uh, Miles Jack and Talvin Smith, and they are the ninth, eleventh, and fifteenth ranked linebackers in coverage this year, based on Pro Football Focus's rating. And the Jack and Smith, the primary coverage defenders uh, out of those three. So you're talking about 
a defense that is adept at covering basically everything at all levels of the field. And while Garrett Selleck, yes, has had a couple of very good games, he's not like a world-beating tight end. He's yeah. not a Delaney Walker. He's not a Gronkowski. He he's, is, he's not a uh, uh, quote-unquote matchup problem. Correct. <laughs> and, and George Kittle, while we love George Kittle and we think he's good, he has not been proven to be a matchup problem yet either. You know, I mean, and you've got Trent Taylor, who may be the most, you know, kind of matchup problematic person of them all. But it's not like he is also someone who, yeah. you know, when you're going up against really, really good. And he's I mean, they have a good slot cornerback, too. You know, Aaron Colvin is their primary slot corner. Um, he isn't certainly on the level of uh, Ramsey and, and Bouye, but that's not really a knock either. Those are like probably two of the five best corners in football right now. Um, and, and so that's maybe the matchup. You're like, OK. It's got to be somewhere like if they get something done, that's probably the one that I would point to. You know, Trent Taylor, he's had some issues, mostly ball security related, but he has been able to get separation. When you got Um, tiny Trump hands, it's hard to keep that ball in place. Tiny little hands. It's a big football, you know, he dropped like he almost that that pass. I think what was it the pass on the final drive that he almost dropped? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the the yep, it was that that first play of the last drive that was close that was kind of like uh you know moving around a little bit as he went to the ground. Um had the the awesome screenplay that got called for like a very kind of weak um penalty there that he fumbled. Um yeah, so it's it's that's been kind of the main concern with him so far. Um but he has definitely shown an ability to get separation, right? And and find some space in the middle of the field. Um, and so I think that's kind of the, the best hope if you're looking for a matchup to potentially take advantage of, that's the one, but it's, it's not a great one, right? It's not, you're not going against a bad player there. They have good players at kind of all these spots. It's, it's going to be tough. What's more likely Jimmy Garoppolo throwing three interceptions or Trent Taylor getting over a hundred yards. Ooh. Uh, probably three interceptions. Yeah, that's what yeah, I was going to as well. Interceptions. <laughs> so if the Niners are going to have a chance in this game, it's usually it's not going to be through the air. It, they're not going to throw. You're not going to see another 300 yard game from Jimmy Garoppolo. You are going to likely see performance on the ground because if the Jacksonville Jaguars have a weakness, and I'm using air quotes here because you can't see me, this is podcast. I think. <laughs> Uh, unless you know my computer is secretly recording me in which case hey probably is it's fine you get a lot of me staring at you blindly uh but you've got a a run defense which is 27th ranked against the rush via dvoa and they've been a little better in pff's run defense grading their 11th but this is probably some combination of you know teams needing to run because they can't pass and so you've got some some yardage amassed against them but on a per play rate they're still not super great against the run so I think if the Niners are going to have a chance, they're going to need to do something on the ground and not necessarily need to put this all on the arm of Jimmy Garoppolo. Which sucks because that hasn't been a thing that they've been able to do, right? I mean, it's just, uh, there, if, there's no way around. It's not a good matchup. If, like, the, it, yeah, if the Titans were a team that matched up well against the Niners because yeah. what they did well is what we also like, you know, defended well and what, you know, we did poorly or whatever. This is the exact opposite. This is yeah. where the thing that we can do well is exactly what Jacksonville is the best against. And and that's not going to go well for the Niners. And I, and I think, uh, you know, there's 
this was something that was going to come. It, it was always going to come. We weren't going to continue winning every game with Jimmy Garoppolo. You mean that you can't uh, project f- like three games into perpetuity and say that Jimmy Garoppolo is never going to lose a game ever? Don't get me wrong. I'm ready to start sizing the gold jacket. You know, we can start getting measurements and, and stuff ready to go. Um, but this is going to be uh, a game that, yeah, I think right now, just from a pure talent level standpoint, they don't have the guys. You know, you, you look at... You look at even a team like offensively that doesn't have a lot of time, but has like a DeAndre Hopkins, right, in Houston. Like DeAndre Hopkins, we talked about him during the Texans game recently, is an awesome receiver, is one of the best in the league, and he struggles against them. You know, like people str- people that are really, really good, like that are some of the best at their position, struggle playing this def- this defense. So you take a team that right now has been – pretty much the Jimmy Garoppolo show. Like they're still, you know, Marquis Goodwin obviously playing very well, but he's not even as well as he's playing right now. Nobody's thinking that he's on the level of uh, DeAndre Hopkins or, you know, an elite receiver in this league. That's, that's again, struggled against this type of defense. Um, it's, it's just, it's going to be rough and yeah, you don't have a run game right now that can really take advantage of that one, maybe weakness, right? Like the, the weakest spot, in that that unit is also your weakest spot. You haven't been able to run the ball effectively all season. It, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be tough. If they, I mean, if they do anything, if we come away from this game thinking that like, wow, they kind of did some positive things offensively, that will be far more than I would ever expect going into it. So before we get to our prediction, let's talk really quickly about Blake Bortles and about Leonard Fournette. Blake Bortles has decided that he's gonna have a career resurgence. And then he's actually going to play really good football. He is, at this point, probably a top 10 quarterback, maybe top 12. He is right below right now Jimmy Garoppolo in his, with his PFF grade. Which is, which is absurd at this yeah. point. Because Blake Bortles, up until now, was just about a laughing stock. Especially when it came to his, his ability to, or his propensity to turn, to turn the ball over. Is Blake Bortles going to have a huge game against the fighting Dante Johnsons? Because this is, again, a secondary that hasn't proven to slow a whole hell of a lot of people down. And while they, of course, are coming into this game hobbled at the wide receiver position, you still have a couple of very, very good players. D.D. Westbrook has the ability to you know, produce some really good numbers. Uh, you've got the guy that no uh, one started this week. Yeah, Keelan Cole, man, had a big game this week. Yeah, uh, I, I played D.D. Westbrook in my Daily Fantasy League last week. This is one of the reasons that, uh, that I lost uh, to my wife, because... I played D. Westbrook and Keenan Cole's over here catching two touchdowns and has like 150 yards or whatever. So, so they have they have some wide receivers that can produce. Marquise Lee is, I think, injured and and he may not play. But overall, this is still a, a wide receiver core that can be dangerous. And of course, you've got the the threat of Leonard Fournette. So, is this going to be a Blake Bortles 300 plus yard game with with a, with a couple of touchdowns? Um, I would put, I mean, right now, I think, you know, coverage ability is, is the worst aspect of the 49ers right now. Um, and, and so it wouldn't be that surprising. I mean, I think this offense in general, you know, maybe there's a little bit more explosiveness there because of some of the talent that they have at receiver. Um, but it's, it's very kind of reminiscent of like the early Harbaugh, like the 2011 Niners, right. With Harbaugh where it's, it's, they're mostly, relying on their defense they're relying on the run game and the passing game's kind of doing just enough right like Bortles is holding up his end of the bargain like Alex Smith did right he's not turning the ball over which is a big change um from him you know in previous seasons he's been he's been a lot better taking care of the ball there and then he's making some big plays here and there and I think that's 
kind of enough for them, right? When you have a defense that's just not allowing points and, and you have a run game that is as effective as they've been, um, you know, you can win a lot of games in the regular season with that. Like that's, that's going to be, uh, going to be fine. So I don't know that I'm expecting huge numbers from them just because, you know, even if, even if he comes out and he's hot early in the game, I think eventually it's going to get to the point where they're just kind of running the ball. Now, Leonard Fournette is the last piece that I wanted to talk about. And I just wanted to ask you one straight up question because it's a question that everyone who is, you know, lusting after Saquon Barkley is going to be asking themselves. We're not going to get into the running back discussion yet. We still have a whole off season to have our at mentions be fire. But if you were to do the draft over again and you could only choose between Solomon Thomas and uh, Leonard Fournette, everything else remaining the same. We still trade back in the first round. We still get Ruben Foster, all that stuff, right? The only thing you swap is Leonard Fournette instead of uh, Solomon Thomas. Which player do you pick? I would still take Solomon Thomas. Yeah, me too. I would too. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like defensive lineman is just far more valuable than even a good running back. Yeah, and and um, especially when you consider the fact that it's not like Jacksonville missed Leonard Fournette when he was out. They, in fact, I think they have like maybe more rushing yards in the games where he was out than when he was in. And especially given the this fact whole that thing with him uh, coming in and transforming that, like being the thing that transformed them, the thing with Zeke, you know, being transforming them like, no, 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 I, I, I still would rather have my, my ultimate swap would probably have been Marshawn Lattimore. Yeah. Give uh, me Marshawn Lattimore yeah. all day. Yeah. If we're going to if, if we can go and, you know, use use hindsight right now to to make an adjustment. Yeah. Marshawn Lattimore all day. Yeah. Give me Marshawn Lattimore. And and, you know, if I if you really want a running back. Hey, look at the defensive rookie or the offensive rookie of the year this year, Alvin Kamara. Yeah. Or look at Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt or Alvin Kamara a couple rounds later over Leonard Fournette every day. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, so I think that about does it for this week's edition of the Niners Nation Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? It's going to be at Newman NFL. We're winding down to the end of the year, so make sure you give us the Christmas gift of giving us a review on iTunes or on Google Play. It helps other people find the show. And it helps our ratings, which, of course, gets us featured on all manner of fun stuff. This week, we are we are going to record next week, right? Even though we're, like, we're going to span the Christmas holiday. I think we might try and get the podcast out a little early because I made movie tickets or I bought movie tickets for uh, a Wednesday instead of. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know what? Let's go ahead and just record a day early because why not? Uh, but yeah, so we might come at you a little earlier next week. But thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again for listening to another fantastic Win Wednesday episode of the Better Rivals podcast. And as always, go Niners. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.